This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center in the piney woods of North Central Florida, which is, of course, we hope, God's country, and we are enjoying a little bit better weather, perhaps, than the rest of the world is right now, which we'll get into at the bottom of the hour. That weather will be sponsored by Lewis Oil. Uh, we are in the Melton Law Studio. Recording stopped. The Warthog Command Center here. And Melton um, Law has 50 years of experience. It's the only official law firm partner in the Florida Gators. Melton Law won't back down. Now, crime prevention also protects us, as you know, 24-7. And uh, we are protected. At, you can get a hold of them at cpss.net. So there we go. Um, a lot of things to talk about today. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself and uh, looking forward to a nice uh, kind of uh, uh, afternoon here. Let me just check some more things I'm trying to get, but I'm not getting. So anyway, <clears throat> local. I want to bring you up to date on a couple of things that are going on locally. Um, updates for us and that is that um, we will have a, a court date a long-awaited court date <clears throat> of the uh, Grotos Commission reward finality ruled by the judge uh, after the arbitrator ruled that Grotos and <clears throat> Riles were entitled to $800,000 the attorneys were entitled to 500000 and the arbitrator was entitled to 100000 And there's been a 6% interest uh, cranking away on that all the time. <clears throat> so now we understand that, uh, once again, the old tricks are being pulled, that um, we're getting a, uh, oh, we just found a new document that the arbitrator didn't know about. Oh, we just uh, realized that uh, she should have seen this. Her ruling would have been different. Uh, the old trick that is being pulled. Uh, geez, I just found this in the bottom of <clears throat> bottom of my drawer. And uh, here, let's me put that in the record. I don't think the judge is going to buy that. This thing has been creaking on since 2019. It's just uh, simply not going to fly. I'm, I'm absolutely positive of that. I think, anyway, you can't be positive of everything. And then at 2 p.m. on the 28th of July, we will have a court date uh, for one Leroy Ross, who is going before Judge Koloff and is actually wanting his day in court. He's one of the fellows who was led to believe he could vote in the jail and voted and now is being charged with voting when he, know, he should have known he couldn't. So we'll be interested in what he has to say. That's going to be possibly very interesting. Um, witnesses have been called, among which is uh, Kim Barton herself and T.J. Pichet. So <clears throat> this is going to creak along, uh, creak along and creak along. 
the, the Drotos, Riles uh, versus Bossart, they're going to string that out as long as they can possibly string it out. You can, you can bet on it. Uh, but the other instance of uh, justice that we have uh, seems to be uh, moving uh, towards some sort of um, resolution, perhaps, for some of these guys. The article in the paper that came out a day or two ago had a couple of things wrong. You know, always, you know, if you're getting your information from the general news, it's often uh, not quite right or incomplete or I don't know why they can't get it straight or check with the people and know. Uh, but, you know, uh, there's other examples of voter fraud being prosecuted. Oops, I said the word voter beep. I'm, I'm just really sorry. I apologize. Algorithm voter beep uh, being <clears throat> prosecuted. Uh, there's a convicted felon in Jacksonville who voted in the 2020 elections. Um, this fellow's name was Mark Crump. The court records show he has served time in prison for manslaughter and is a convicted sex offender. Um, he registered as a Democrat, checked a box that said he had never been convicted of a felony. And then he voted in both the August 2020 primary and the November 2020 general election. So uh, the Duval County Supervisor Elections Office, they were the ones that contacted law enforcement in March after they were con contacted by a citizen. Now, uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh, I wonder who that citizen might have been. So um, the uh, 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 citizen contacted the, them in, in Jacksonville and said, hey, we're doing our, your work for you, basically. Take a look at this. And they did pick up the... Um, issue and take go forward with it. So the supervisor of elections there, Mike Hogan, said the first case of voter beep he's seen in his six and a half years. Now that's a kind of a sad statement because we know that there's all kinds of voter beep. Uh, we found it all over the state. And it's a problem in that um, we, uh, we don't think everybody else finds what we find. It's not all that hard to find it. So um, um, Mr. Hogan probably doesn't know how to look or doesn't want to look or doesn't feel he's supposed to look, whatever. Um, he did say, I, I think it's uh, always been done. Um, people have always tried to cheat the system and get around the system. And so he says, we've got to be very diligent and guard our database to do excellent research before we make any decisions. Uh, this is action news and uh, Jacksonville press release from which I'm reading. So um, Action News Jax uh, also reported that, of course, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed a bill to create a police force that pursues voter beep and other election crimes. So um, there are places where it's being done. Uh, the article here that was written uh, was a little misleading. It didn't have its facts just exactly right. So um, Nevertheless, keep those dates in mind on July. Let me make sure I got the right one here. On July 28, uh, at 2 p.m., Leroy Ross, who's only one of the 10, by the way, is going to have a court date. And on July 26, uh, there's going to be um, this look into this commission. And also the Cornell deposition is just around the corner. Um, that's going to be very interesting to see how that works. Um, the other interesting local news is that um, we do have a situation where um, 
we, um, I've just got this information sent to me about the local news. I was checking out um, um, this, uh, this, this person who um, uh, um, worked as a neighborhood officer in neighborhood services and uh, was moved to a civilian field service technician spot and uh, kind of was pushed through the, according to the information I'm getting from inside the, the belly of the beast, if you will, I'm um, talking about the, the father of the fellow Bradley, who was bitten by the dog, uh, pushed through the process by Lonnie Scott. So um, nice guy, uh, uh, um, you know, just uh, um, is what it is. So it, it, here's the point about this. And we talked about, talked about this with you and uh, uh, the whole issue of Crime Stoppers, the board, which I'm on, of course. The same story comes across our desk all the time. Now, let's look at the particulars that would have frightened you had you been the person coming up on the car. First of all, the guy reaches down to the floorboard. That's never good. What do you keep on a floorboard? Tell me, pray tell me, what do you keep on a floorboard? Well, later on, we find out what the gentleman kept on the floorboard was a stolen pistol and that he is also a convicted felon, which they would have known when they come up on the car because they run a tag on it. They run a tag check on it. So uh, the, the issue then of what's in the car already has put them on kind of a high alert. They are, um, they're, therefore, they're, they're, they're aware of um, something is going on here that uh, maybe they need to be heads up on. And they're pushing already with caution. So we got a couple of things that have already rang the bell. Number one is rolling through the stop sign. Uh, you say that's no big deal. Um, but um, it's enough a big deal that you wonder maybe we ought to ask if everything else is okay. It's like having a tag line. So you pull a person over and the first thing that person does, and you already know because you've run the tag by the time you pull them over is that this guy's got a felony record. So then uh, you go up to the car and you see the person reach to the floor. And then of course that person is asked to get out. And in that moment, that person doesn't comply. Now that's a big, big moment. That is a very big moment. Um, the, the, um, the second there is a split second. You don't really want to be on the losing end of that. If you're the officer of the law, you can be. You've seen this happen sometimes. And then the guy takes off. And that take off and running. You know, it took about an hour to find this guy. And there was a lot of hanging out. Let me just remind you of the power of a sniper. At that time, when the guy runs, they don't know if he's got another pistol or not. Um, the power of a sniper. Uh, my golly, would you look at the school situation? One kid keeping the whole, I don't know how many law enforcement he had, 400 or so? I mean, what are we talking here? So the power of the sniper is really awesome. And, you know, about the only way you can get those guys out of there is by, uh, if you don't have a sniper to snipe back, then you've got to bomb it or come after it in some overpowering force because one guy can hold down a lot of people. Um, 
my father in World War II was under the sniper scope all the time. And I asked him, how come they didn't shoot you? And they said, that's because we were doing the surveying on the beach as to where the amphibious landing would be made. And so they didn't want to shoot us because by watching us, they could see where we were coming. But they were always watching us. They always had us in their sniper scope. So when this guy takes off and hides in the woods, you don't know what you're coming up on. And believe me, you, you want to come up with caution because of the um, track record the person's already got that you've seen and the behavior in the car. So these dogs, and I've talked to some guys that handle the dogs, are not, they're meant to take soft tissue, okay? They're meant to take soft tissue. I had a big Rottweiler, which uh, we trained, and what he would always do, we trained him by using a padded forearm. And uh, he would go for the forearm, and you didn't want him hanging on to that forearm because he weighed 120 pounds. I've got a big, he's passed now, he lived to be 12 years old. I've got a big watering trough out here, portable watering trough, which, you know, you got to pick up and be kind of strong to pick it up. All around the fringes of that watering trough are my dog's teeth marks where he would play with it. He would pick it up and sling it in the air. So these guys have got a lot of jaw strength. They come in there. Then let's say you fight the dog. Well, now you got a problem. You know, rather than complying again, that's the only thing I can deduce might have happened. So now along with this comes a relationship. And some, I'm getting some information here that the daddy or the, somebody in the family of Victor Bradley is, was a former police officer, boy's father. I'm trying to confirm that. But it's a relationship there. Now, you have to wonder, in this group of people called a family, why is this behavior condoned? Why is this? Dion McGraw had a son, has a son, who was caught behind the downtown state attorney's office in a parking lot with a, with a weapon. I mean, why is this being condoned? when these people are obviously not using it as it was used in the Indianapolis mall, which I'm going to get to in a moment, which is heroic. That's not the way it's being used. It's being used the way it was there on University Avenue at uh, 2.15 or so in the morning to spray the place with bullets. I mean, you know, I used to be downtown all the time. We had never crossed our minds when we were, um, you know, on the bricks, so to speak. Now we've got this society where it's a given. And I got to tell you that the guys that I uh, practice the skills with are all concealed carry guys. And there's only a way to conceal carry. You either conceal carry all the time or you conceal carry none of the time. There's no in between. Now, I want to go over to this situation in the mall where there was a fellow who had concealed carry. I'm going to give you his name right now. It's kind of interesting. He was 20, not a, just a young fellow, 22 years old. He was in there with his girlfriend shopping. I don't know if I'm going to be able to say the name properly. Ijaijah Dickin. Haven't looked him up to see what he looks like or anything. Uh, this happened in Greenwood, south of Indianapolis. And as I think I read one report, he fired 10 rounds at this guy, killed him who was in there with a rifle getting ready to slay the people in the mall. And this guy 
concealed carry guy, legal, killed him. Now, I'm interested in the number of rounds fired because we have had this discussion among us as practice skilled shooters that we try to be. And we are sponsored. One of our sponsors is Shoot GTR, which is a very safe range here in town to shoot at. Uh, it's uh, managed by Bennett Latimer. It's um, got a, a, you know wonderful practices there. Uh, if you don't behave, you're gone permanently, that sort of thing. So the magazine capacity has become, let me just talk a little bit about what's happened is the bad guy has gotten more dangerous. If you go back to GPD once upon a time, they carried revolvers, okay? Well, the problem with a revolver, very accurate, by the way, I have a Smith & Wesson revolver, very accurate, but it's a revolver. You don't reload it quickly, and it only carries five, six rounds, and then you're done, and you can't slap another magazine in there. So law enforcement went from revolvers to semi-automatics, mostly Glocks. The safety in the Glock is in the trigger. And the magazines initially were like six rounds. Well, now their Glock puts out one which carries well over a dozen rounds legally. We even have uh, uh, P265Xs, I believe is SIG, has put out a uh, nine millimeter uh, self-protection, which carries 11 rounds. So this kid, this is what I'm impressed by. Not only was he a darn good shot at only 22 years of age, and the, what I've read about him is that his father had taught him to hunt and respect weapons, but he also had a large capacity magazine to be sure he could handle the situation because this guy had a rifle. And I'll assure you, he could have overpowered our hero with the rifle had the hero not been also an excellent shot. The hero is an excellent shot. So we're talking about a, a bunch of things here that are going on in our society. Now, let me tell you something about liberal communities. I don't know if you know this, but we discussed this at the range among ourselves uh, about trigger pull. And what is the light trigger pull? And what is the heavy trigger pull? Factory trigger pull, probably somewhere around five pounds. Deliberately, the NYPD trigger pull is 10 pounds. Now, why is that the case? What do you think? That's one of the ways to restrict the efficiency of law enforcement. To restrict the efficiency of law enforcement is to put the trigger pull up high so that it's more difficult to squeeze off a lot of rounds. The lighter the trigger pull, the, the quicker you can squeeze off the rounds. So there's a lot of issues here going on in our culture. And we've got what we call a bounce back reply. Here we've got these, let's use the word thugs, gang members. And I've been briefed on this by law enforcement. It's uh, all about drugs. It's all about young kids. It's all about very dangerous young kids because what they're trying to do is make rank in their gang. And to make rank, they have to prove they have bravado. They have to prove they have to be, they were willing to do the time. And they do. And they know they're going to get out. I mean, you can't believe the convicted murderers are walking among us all the time. It blows your mind. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, these guys have really killed people. 
and they're walking around and they deliberately kill people. We got Chauvin doing 19 years who did not deliberately kill anybody. What kind of message does this send? I mean, I mean, come on. What kind of message does that send? And it's not the right one. Checking to see somebody. Um, right. Oh, uh, yeah. Trigger, Plantation Mark says the trigger pull on his buffalo rifle is two and a half pounds. That's pretty. That's getting way down there. So he can, he can, all it touches, uh, take a touch and he's pulled that trigger. So uh, the, the issue here is that for every action, there's a reaction. And so when you get bad guys out there and you've got the police on their heels, uh, and you've got a culture that's unable to accept its responsibility. Here's a headline. Change wanted at the police department. Why doesn't that headline read change wanted in the family? Why doesn't it? Why is it always, and I'm not a cop lover, by the way. I mean, come on, they're bad cops or bad teachers or bad people, good people. But I'm saying the role of the law enforcement is to, and I've written done right-alongs, and believe me, the restraint that's required is enormous. You wouldn't believe the crap you have to take from fender benders to everything else under the sun. And be calm. I mean, you're part psychologist, you're part uh, minister, you're all wrapped up in one. You have to be a good writer, too, because you got to write the reports. So here is uh, uh, another story that is out of, um, let me see if it's time to do this one. Yeah, I think I can get this one in. Uh, this is called, and it's a very brave uh, kind of title, uh, Zachary Farah, who is writing for the Washington Examiner, says that brain rot has taken over the voices of the Black Lives Matter activists. And if you want proof of it, all you have to do is look at Minneapolis. Now, he says that there's a man named Andrew Teckel Sunberg, a black man who was shot and killed by police. And all of a sudden, once again, uh, back in Minneapolis, uh, you know, this world of, of activists and protesters, uh, we have um, Black Lives Matter cranking up and uh, wanting a sympathetic and the, and, the, and the paper, the newspaper, does a sympathetic write-up of the activists. Just like we've got on the front page of the Gainesville Sunset today. A sympathetic write-up of the activists. So, and it's always complicated by mental health issues. Now you can, this is one of the gray areas, but this guy, Sunberg, it, that was got shot and killed by the, the cops, was actually mentally ill. He had a mental health crisis that led to an overnight standoff with officers and activists wanted to know why the cops could not have taken him alive. Well, he was firing a gun into a woman's apartment with her and her children inside. And according to the police officer, he, they tried to evacuate the building when they came under fire. It was a six hour standoff. And finally, the only way to deal with him was to kill him. And what do the activists do? They don't have any empathy, sympathy for whatsoever for the woman into whose home, her name was Arabella Yarborough, this woman into whose home Sunberg was firing, tried to tell activists that they should go home, 
This led to the activists telling her to shut up. You may have seen pictures of this. She's confronting the Black Lives Matter people and blessing them out. She's black too, saying, what are you doing sympathizing with him? He was shooting at me and my children. And she noted that there were bullet holes in her kitchen at which one of the activists sneered, not in you though. Now, come on. Now, uh, GoFundMe uh, has allowed a fundraiser for the mentally ill guy who was shooting at the woman. And then piling onto this are race-baiting ambulance-chasing lawyers like Ben Crump, um, um, who previously falsely claimed, according to Zachary Frera, uh, that uh, 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 this fellow was unarmed. Uh, Amaya Bryant, another example, was unarmed when she was shot by the cops while she was attempting to stab another woman to death. Um, the New York Times is notorious for sympathizing with the activists. Um, they, 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 they don't let up. They never, ever seem to at least sympathize with the victim and quit. How should we say this? Armchair quarterbacking the cops from the comfort of your hindsight in the rearview mirror. So um, this is um, something that always leads to a review of the body cam footage. Um, but the activists never wait on that. Lonnie Scott, the new chief who knows all these characters, knows Victor Bradley, has known him for a long time, the report I'm getting from inside the law enforcement world. Um, the activists don't even wait for the review. Pro they don't care about the review process. They want their pound of flesh now. And I ask you, I've just asked you reasonable students, reasonable people, what is it they want? Can you answer that for me? What is it they want? I mean, I guess what they want is for the cops to go where Chauvin went. Whether they're guilty or not, or whether they meant to or not, lock them all the cops up. Sooner or later, they're going to meet themselves. Because a lot of the cops came from where they came from. So the issue is don't publicize and automatically sympathize with the activists. That's the local group here. I've been watching. They don't even have the facts straight. And the ones that don't fit their narrative, they omit. And if you didn't know any better, and so many people don't, I just um, emailed a person the other minute ago and asked him if he knew who Victor Brown, and the guy didn't even have a clue what I was talking about. No, it was clueless. And this guy votes, he, uh, property owner, da-da-da-da-da-da, uh, clueless. So he's going to pick up the paper. He's going to see the activists championed, and it's all before we've even had a review. You know, it, it is really what is uh, kind of a nutcase behavior that, well, what the uh, Washington Examiner writer calls brain rot. The activists are have brain rot, is what this writer says. And um, the... Uh, uh, it goes all the way. It goes all the way up to the top. You know, Tim Martin's checking in here. It goes all the way up to the top. 
And in, in terms of um, Black Lives Matter has a plaza in D.C. right around the corner from the Congress. Uh, our guy in the field, Michael Yawn, told me that and took pictures of it. The, the Proud Boys don't have a, a plaza. They've been, that's, another, that's the other thing. Activism is selective. It's selective. Some activists don't, they get besmirched. They get demeaned. Other activists get praised. It's all got to be straightened out. But the press is a culprit in this. The press is making it much, much worse. Um, let me see if I've covered everything I wanted to cover before the bottom of the hour break. Um, is, um, yeah, I've covered it. You know, pretty much we're right on schedule here. Uh, let me review with you. We've got a court date coming up for one of the fellows who voted in the jail. That's going to be at 2 p.m. the 28th of July. Uh, we've got um, another hearing on as um, the, the Balsart people try to drag their, drag it out, drag it out, drag it out. And we've got um, a discussion about uh, activism. So we're going to take a break here at the bottom of the hour and thank our sponsors. And I'll be right back. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. Wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! 
Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files, and we're going to bring you the weather here a little bit now by Lewis Oil. Um, well, I tell you what, be glad you're not in Europe, evidently, and be glad you're not out in the western part of the United States. I'm getting some heat readings out of Texas that are uh, triple digit, easily triple digit. And the problem with it is not the heat so much as the grid. Um, and, you know, this is all very complicated. If you try to divorce yourself from fossil fuel energy sources, I can guarantee you that wind supply and sunshine and all that is not going to give you enough electricity to power your ACs to keep you from uh, overcoming, uh, being overcome by the heat. So this is a real test right now going on in the Western states. Of course, in England, there's 1% of the places in England have air conditioning. And they're not accustomed to this. And it's all being, of course, conveniently called global warming or climate change or something of that nature. Um, that's unfortunately a leap that one can make emotionally, but pretty difficult to, to hit scientifically particularly when you have previous records that were right here near these, perhaps not as high as these, but sometimes higher than these. So it's, um, it's a complicated situation for places that in the Northern Hemisphere are not accustomed to what we're accustomed to in Florida. As you know, Florida was largely kind of less heavily populated, less densely populated before air conditioning. Only the Hardy came here and worked. And it was contingent upon uh, being able to build your house in the right copes of trees. Um, also, uh, uh, you know, take advantage of crosswinds and things of that nature uh, before air conditioning. And air conditioning came and a lot more people were able to deal with Florida's humidity. But um, um, it, it's extremely humid here where we are in the piney woods of north central Florida. The air quality is pretty good, though. The allergy of tree pollen and ragweed pollen is low, but the mold remains high. Uh, the dust is extreme, even though we've been having um, the rain. Um, we are probably going to have very high temperatures toward the end of the week, much higher than ones we're having now, uh, 95, maybe above. So uh, July is a tough month, uh, especially in Florida. We keep thinking that um, we'll turn the corner and get into August and it'll get better. And sometimes it does a little bit. And sometimes in the evening, if it's just right and there's a storm coming, you can sense perhaps that there is going to be, as we say, fall in the air. But um, uh, it is, it is um, dubious as to when it will arrive. So um, anyway, that's kind of my world look at the weather right now. If you want to sum it up, it is kind of warm everywhere, really. But um, there have been places that have been this warm before. I want to go into some stories now that I collectively have called Biden's resume. It's about time we took a look at this character a little more closely. And um, I think one of the funniest articles I've read about him is written by... Uh, a fellow who's a pretty good writer. His name is uh, Gerald Baker. He uh, publishes frequently in the journal. He's um, got a funny, you know, is something that's, you know, Biden is not doing regular ADO 
80-year-old people any good. Uh, because when they run down Biden for turning 80, then all the healthy, virile, strong-like-bull 80-year-olds say, what the hell, they haven't checked with me. I know friends on the tennis court right now. I have one friend who's 97 years old, still out there, probably out there right now on the tennis court. I have another friend who's an excellent player, 87 years old, still playing singles on the tennis court. So you don't have to be a dimwit when you turn 80, as Biden obviously is. Now, he is, uh, uh, we're supposed to think that his ineptness is a surprise. But Baker says it was no surprise. Anybody who looked back at Biden uh, and his record, and of course, the liberals didn't care about that. They just had to find somebody to stick out there and then find a way for him to win. Um, the Pakistan deal, the Afghanistan deal, um, um, obviously is horrible. Um, Saudi Arabia has watched that and knows that. Iran has watched it, known it. Putin has watched it, known it. It makes no sense. Um, the open border with the influx of illegal immigrants, the other countries watch this. It makes no sense to them. Um, then they take a look behind him at Kamala Harris, and they think, is this Kamala Harris articulate and thoughtful? Is she a real addition to the Washington bureaucracy? Or, to quote Baker, is she a gibbering, deer-in-the-headlights, platitude-generating hogwash machine? Golly, let me read that again. I wish I had written something like that. Huh? Gerald Baker says in this article, and the title of the article, let's see, is, has Biden lost it? He never had it. Um, this is the sentence Gerald Baker uses to describe Kamala Harris. Gibbering, deer in the headlights, platitude generating hogwash machine. Wow. Now, all the propaganda, Baker says, that we've been sold that how sharp Biden was two years ago and how he was mentally and physically robust is just all crap. It's not his advanced age, Baker says. It's his advancing unpopularity because it wouldn't matter what age he was. He'd still be the same endlessly vacuous person he's always been. Um, he is as, Baker says he is as fit now to be the president as he has ever been fit to be the president. In other words, he's never been fit to be the president. Um, you uh, have to understand how he voted is what Baker says. If you go back and look at him, he, uh, he you know, look at his votes, pro-life votes in the 1970s, um, then um, um, uh, Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill showdown where he got involved with that deal, uh, welfare reform, Iraq war, all this stuff. He, he just changes like the comedian. Um, he um, through basically Baker says fate, a, uh, a convergence of all these different kind of opportunistic moments, uh, absentee ballots, COVID, Zuckerbucks, all these things 
pushed him across the finish line when he was never able to run across it by himself to begin with. And now that he's older, it seems as if they're blaming it on his age when Baker says he was never suitable to be the president, no matter what age. And the thing that's really kind of highlighting it is a lot of the papers now, even the New York Times, and when those guys turn on you, as if you're a liberal, when they turn on you, you got big problems. Um, they've looked at this deal with the way uh, Biden behaved with the uh, Saudis, the, the fish, the fist bump and all that crap. And they just think that Biden got duped. There's no other way to look at it. Um, he asked him about the horrible dismemberment death of uh, Kashagi. I think that's the way you say his name. And uh, took the Saudis word for it at face value. Um, he never questioned the account, whether it was accurate. He didn't end up building any solid cooperation between the U.S. and Saudi. In fact, he pushed Saudi toward Iran and other Gulf states. Um, and he's also, therefore, pushed them toward Russia and China. Um, in short, when he went to the Middle East there, he didn't come away with any progress. Um, he didn't make any progress on oil. He didn't make any peace in Yemen. Um, he got duped by uh, Iran again. Uh, so he, it, it's, um, it's really visible proof um, of him being incapable, for some reason, of effective leadership. He uh, has put the United States in the West, if you take Putin at his word, at enormous economic and security risks. I don't think we ever talk about that enough. Enormous economic and security risks. And um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, causing food shortages, price increases, and destabilizing migration flows. Uh, you know, Putin is making overtures to South America, Africa, Turkey, Iran, China, and he uses the nuclear threat as a kind of last card in his deck if anybody really wants to confront him. Now we've got, and this has been going on all the way back to Obama, Tehran, Tehran, uh, Tehran um, getting ready to, to create their own nuclear weapon. Um, it, it, is, it is really, it's back to wokeism. It's, it's just, it's not... It's not ever going to be the correct attitude to run the world. The world could care less about your wokeism. Somebody today asked me what wokeism is. It is reading issues into everything that are either sexist, reading into everything, sexist or racist issues where there are none. That's what wokeism is. So we're living in the... Because nobody confronts it, because nobody puts it back, DeSantis has. There's been a study, and I'm still on Biden's resume. Alicia Finley has done a study on what did it, all those stimulus payments really do to our American way of life? We're talking about the pandemic stimulus payments. Um, 
So some social scientists at Harvard and the University of Exeter have taken a look at this. Now, the liberals argue that no strings attached handouts make healthier lifestyles, okay? That's going to make people really have a better life. Their theory is that low-income people, if they're less stressed about making the ends meet, uh, will begin to get their nose ahead a little bit, and they'll approach the finish line with a chance of doing better. But when these universities did this study, they found exactly, and this shouldn't surprise you, they found exactly the opposite to be true. Um, from July 2020 to May 2021, the researchers uh, assigned a 2,073 low-income participants to receive a one-time unconditional cash transfer of either $500 or $2,000. Another 3,170 people with similar financial demographic and socioeconomic characteristics served as the control group, and the study was funded by an anonymous nonprofit. So these participants earned an average of about $950 a month and had $530 in unearned income, that is food stamps. About 80% had children and 55% were unemployed. And over 15 weeks, they were surveyed about their physical, mental, and financial well-being. And 43% also agreed to allow researchers to observe their bank finances and financial transactions. And here's the result. Handouts increased spending for a few weeks. On average, $26 a day in the $500 group and $82 a day in the $2,000 group, but had no observable positive effect on any individual outcome. Bank overdraft fees, late payment fees, cash advances, same old, same old. They, they had the same financial problems. Give them more money, didn't change their financial problems. These handout recipients, uh, they had less earned income and liquidity, lower work performance and satisfaction, and more financial stress. Higher levels of loneliness and anxiety. So all this contradicts 477 social scientists who thought that by giving people more money, they'd be happy. Giving more people more money didn't change their problems whatsoever. In fact, it made them worse. So this is a bit, if you want to sit down with your liberal buddy over a beer or coffee and argue with him, have him refute this. Because one of the things that becomes very obvious is the definition of the word need. What is the baseline need for a person is really pretty interesting. Do you need, I mean, really, do you absolutely have to have your nails done? 
Do you need absolutely all those shoes? Want a regular pair of shoes do? Rather than the signature expensive brand? Really, do you even need that cell phone? What do you actually need? Because what happens when you give them more money, they spend it on things that they don't need. They think they need, but essentially they don't need. And it does not change. In fact, it worsens their financial responsibility. So the people who received a large percentage of their monthly income for doing nothing were less motivated to work and less satisfied with their work. One of the things the study found is that earning a paycheck gives people a sense of personal dignity that encourages them to make better financial decisions. Receiving the handout does the opposite. So if you worked and got the, what you got, paired and lived within your means and paired back your needs to what you really needed, you would have a better sense of self-worth and you would be more responsible for your self-fulfillment which ironically is destroyed or eroded if somebody gives you that cash supplement. Because poor people are poor quite often because they can't manage their money and they remain poor despite receiving lots of government assistance. So the study found, and I, I, you got, you know, I know there's people here that I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm, I don't have to convince of this. The study found that merely giving people more money does them teach them how to take care of it. In fact, ironically, giving people more money encourages them to spend more and learn less about how to take care of it. Well, I don't know if I needed a study to know that. I, I, just, I just don't, you know, it's like affordable housing. Affordable housing, oh, by the way, uh, the... Low-income people, get this, and I know of, I have a friend here used to uh, watching who used to investigate food stamp. Babe, the low-income people who did not get food stamps ate more healthily than those who did. The ones who did not get food stamps consumed fewer sugar, sweetened beverages, and all the crud. Hey, because they had to stretch their dollars. So when the Democrats dumped all that money into the 
culture during the pandemic. They didn't do a thing to prevent people from falling into poverty. Congress spent, are you ready for this? It's shocking. A total of $800 billion on stimulus checks during the pandemic. And what those stimulus checks did, now this is, we knew this, I suppose, many of us here that I'm looking at in the chat room are good stewards of money. It doesn't surprise us that these handouts induced people to spend more and reduced their incentive to work, which did what? Fanned inflation. So will Congress ever, ever learn this lesson? Uh, will the liberals ever, ever, ever learn this lesson? I don't know, my, my friends. It's, uh, it's really, seems as long as I've been living, I've been hearing about this. I happen to come from a family that was very frugal. I mean, watched the nickels and dimes. Uh, things we didn't need, we didn't get. I mean, some of the things we wanted, we didn't get. We wanted it, but we didn't get it. You know? It just doesn't work that way. One last thing I want to talk about before we take off here. I want to thank the production for doing a great job today, keeping me on an even keel here. Um, it takes a while to learn how to do these things, and, and um, it's all teamwork. So uh, in case you're watching this, we have once in a while um, – we get a little technical problem or something off whack, but correct it and move on. Congress has a baseball coming, game coming up. Do you remember this game, baseball game? I know, I know you don't remember it from the day it started. It started in 1909. It's a bipartisan baseball, annual baseball game. Probably the first time you ever heard it, of it, maybe, was when Steve Scalise on June 14th, 2017 was shot. It was a mass shooter, James Hopkinson, who shot up the place and ended up being killed himself in a shootout there at the congressional ball game. Why do I bring this up? Well, the Washington Examiner and some other papers are concerned that an activist group has uh, decided that they need to uh, shut this thing down. The activist group, you want to hear it here, so keep, a, keep, a, uh, keep it in your mind, it's called Now or Never. It is an activist group uh, that is offered bounties. Are you ready for this? As high as $200 in early July to anyone who Saul Roberts or Kavanaugh or Alito, any of the Supreme Court justices and shared their location. Um, and you know what happened. Some of them, they were eating at a restaurant and the activist group crashed the restaurant. And they had marshes outside the judges' homes. And um, Biden and his crowd have been reluctant to do anything to protect those justices. And you know why? They hate the Supreme Court. So this progressional uh, baseball game um, 
is uh, going to be, according to Now or Never, the first target for protests, which are set for August 5 and September 30th. And uh, along with this other try attempt to shut down this congressional uh, ballgame. So uh, they are dangerous. To me, they're lawless and they're thugs and they're, they're people that um, you need to keep one eye open when you take a nap because they, uh, they don't have any, any uh, kind of um, um, what can I say, governor on them, you know, any kind of governor on them. I got a story here. I got to find this. I'm, I beg your pardon. Let me take it just a second. It is a story, and I, I was amazed by it. If I can find it, I'll give it to you. It is, um, um, and I've got it written in my notes here, that a transgender impregnation. Oh, my God. I've got it here somewhere. Um, yeah, here it is. Can you believe this? I'm going to close with this, my friends. A transgender woman impregnated two inmates in the New Jersey female prison. So I guess they caught on and removed the transgender woman. This transgender woman was incarcerated at Edna Mahan Correctional Facility for women. The person's name was Demi Minor, 27 years old was transferred to Garden State Youth Correctional Facility, a prison for young adult offenders. And uh, there you are. He couldn't, uh, uh, this guy was serving a 30-year sentence for manslaughter and will be eligible for parole in 2037. But it's not a male, it's a she. So let me get this straight. They put the she in the prison with the other she's and the she impregnated two of the she's. Okay? I don't know. I don't run things. This is New Jersey's transgender prisoner policy. Pushed upon the New Jersey by the American Civil Liberties Union in 2001 in June. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I have no idea. You tell me how it works. I, I just can't. I can't get it straight in my head. Anybody have an answer for that? All right. Have a great day. Tomorrow, we're going to have, as my co-host, former Congressman Ted Yoho. Don't miss that, my friends. Talk to you later. Warthog Command Center out.